It's often said that in this galaxy of ours, there are old pilots. There are bold pilots. But there are no old, bold pilots. This is not true. There aren't many pilots out there in the galaxy with more than a handful of careers under their belt. Most of us are content to be a bounty hunter and a miner, or an explorer and a cargo hauler. One old, bold pilot has had more than many careers, but this particular star's light no longer illuminates our night sky. A pilot, a pirate, a gunslinger for hire, a Viking, a warrior, a blacklist denier. He travelled through the depths of the oceans and into deep space. He loved and he fought and he smouldered with fire. He was a young man with a horn. He had an ear for painting sunflowers. He duked it out with other legendary characters. He flew over the cuckoo's nest long before anyone saw it on a vidcast. These and a hundred more lives he lived. More than a hundred years he lived. But at the end... His final act was to look the reaper in the eye and say, I am Spartacus. Our mics are live. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to be back here in the calm and peace that is the studio. An oasis in the centre of the hubbub that is the hurly-burly of hot mess participants arriving and leaving at all hours of the day and night. With me this week, jostling for position on the one chair that still functions, we've tried buying a new one, but all we get delivered these days is scrap, and it's uncomfortable to sit on. Is the larger-than-life Harry Balsack. Good evening. The ultra-dependable Norma Snockers is here, but she's only one half of a pair this week, as Lou's off, as he was complaining about a pain in his ear. Good evening, everyone. I've got everyone's favourite mining obsessive, Wilma Fingerdoo. Hello, Rudolph. Good evening, everyone. And, once again, we have the absolute privilege of the presence of Galnet's own colon corrector, the inimitable Commander Wotherspoon. Good evening. So, let's have some news, shall we? Dastardly Don's Desperados Disrespect Doyen Dayglow Viking tries to prove it's bigger on the inside. Major General Noctavagus finds it's time to Lego off his ship. I don't spy with my little eye. Something beginning with Sagittarius. We're dreading the return of the judge. The apology officer would like to... Well, you know the rest. Is this the loneliest system in the galaxy? Atrus5060 does his best to work out what's going on. Blue's hiding somewhere, 
So I found a professional to help. And Norma's going to tell us how well we're doing with our initiative. Proof, if proof were needed, that bad things happen to good people. Commander Poppy, the hamster-spirited alter ego of our own Flossie, was out mugging the galaxy trying to bring cheer and a hut and mug to the poor mods infected wretches who not only didn't have any food but didn't have a mug to put it in. The inhabitants of systems in famine are too weak to raise a mug and so are reluctant to take one even if it would relieve their mods based suffering. From purely selfless motives and not so that her OCD could only rest once every station had been mugged Poppy, that's Flossie, remember, keep up at the back there, took on a wing mission to deliver food, or rather coffee. I don't think we should be uncharitable, but if you're starving, should coffee be first on the agenda? And, and if it is, then why should a mug not be required? And, sorry, where was I? Oh yes, Poppy took on a wing mission to deliver food, only to find that she ha was interdicted by a deadly pirate. You will recall, because she never lets us forget, that Flossie's pilots are all harmless, who unceremoniously proceeded to prepare Poppy's ship for a return trip to Hutton by turning it into scrap. Poppy is now helping the starving by delivering random foodstuffs, the equivalent of leaving a tin in the basket in the corner of the supermarket that's taken to the local dog's home. I guess the moral of this story is, if you're taking on a wing mission, Take a wing. Commander Dayglow Viking has proven himself to be the baldric of ship transport with his cunning plan. Our clever commander has managed to get around the extortionate fees charged by the Pilots' Federation for moving his ship to a new location by disguising it as cargo. He's created his own babushka doll by putting a ship inside a ship and he's imitated a TARDIS by putting an anaconda inside a cargo ship. He's removed all of the ship kits, unplugged all of the optional modules, and sealed the ship's computer into a container. Now, all would have gone well, and we would now be, con be congratulating Mr. Viking on the cunningest plan since Sly McSly won the craftiest plan in the galaxy competition, if it were not for one thing. The Type 6 that has the Commander's ship on board has its route plotter permanently set to economical mode and the pilot has no more sense of direction than Nocti at the end of a long night out. It appears that Commander Daglo Viking may have to wait several weeks before his ship arrives at its new home, far, far longer than it would have taken to draw giant genitalia on a galaxy star map. There is, however, good news. Commander Hutton Widow was heard to say that in the absence of an escape pod with cryostasis, all will still be well, as the Viking still has a mug and sufficient evil juice to make the time pass without notice. Good luck, Commander, but we can't promise to leave a station unmugged for your return. Following our report a few weeks ago of rumours of a fully scrap-built limpet-printed battlecruiser being constructed only a short hop from Hutton, the other side of Eden to be precise, 
our investigative team have an update. It appears that due to a mega mini millimeter mega meter mix up, the Major General's digital minions have delivered him something absolutely perfectly crafted, only at a fraction of the size it's supposed to be. The Major General, who was hands off throughout the whole process and was only updated via external camera shots, was caught rather on the hop when, waiting in his ASP, he heard the capital ship signature detected warning and looked at the very impressive witch space arrival storm, only to notice that what popped out of the hole was more than a little smaller than he wanted. This Lilliputian behemoth is packing all of the equipment one would expect from a repl replica of a Federal Navy ship and is practically perfect in every possible way, with tiny little heat relays, batteries of dangerous-looking weapons, and of course, a fully realised ship's bridge. Unfortunately, it's only suitable for being crewed by the little minifigures created by Commander Claire Hallen. The waiting complement of fighter vessels preparing to dock and start patrolling around Hutton Space will have a bit of a time of it docking, so it's been repurposed as a drone aboard Hutton itself, guarding the mug supply hangar against marauding smurfs, big endians, and any station cats that take delight in knocking them off the side. Crisis has hit the world of pulp fiction in recent weeks, with almost the entire writing room from Sagittarius I, the galaxy's finest print publication about the galaxy around us, being mysteriously kidnapped. No ransom demand has been presented yet, nor is there any evidence of how they were removed from their locked high-security compound, but there are rumours that a number of them were seen walking around the exercise yard with strangely muddy boots, all looks, looking suspiciously innocent when Sagai guards entered their dormitory and the browser history of one inmate, sorry, writer, concerning searches on how to jump a motorbike and sidecar over a barbed wire fence. While search and rescue teams are on the lookout for the missing writers, Hutton's copy room has been beavering away with the typewriter in an attempt to fill the gap. Whether our demented touch tap types tappings and tipex covered efforts to spell complicated words like mug past muster with the editor-in-chief remains to be seen, but we're hopeful that we can plug the gap whilst the professionals are found and brought back to base. We've received a mug alert. Yes, a call to action. When you hear the words, I am the law, what immediately springs to mind? No, not the law wars of early 3302 between Dr. Stroud of Lave and the behatted former security consultant turned historian Drew Wagar. We mean the law. Big chinned, steely eyed, armour wearing, justice bringing law. Ben Ryder, notorious mug denier appears to have relented in his scorn for all things Hutton and is acting as a fence. Sorry, intermediary. Between the finder, one commander, Johnny Sokatoa, and the truckers. A cache of ancient documents from the troubled past of Earth have been carbon dated to the year 2000 AD, and a number of Hutton truckers have been commissioned to bring these artefacts, 
listed in cargo holds as progs and classified as ultra-rares from the dig site on Earth to other stations throughout the Sol system. The museum buyers are said to be filthy rich, very eager to get their hands on these thrills from early Earth history and starting rumours that the colourful printed editions are the perfect defence against thrill-sucking Thargoids. We are, of course, sending a team armed with a translator Tron 3000 to work out what on Earth this message means and why Johnny named his ship the Trigonometrist and what the angle is on this heist and which side we're on. But we're never ones to turn away a mission. And now, over to the Apology Officer. Hutton Orbital Incident Report. Date of incident, 5th February 3306. Location, the bubble. Type of incident, ship damage, ship destruction. Reporting officer, Mia Hartness. This week we have some cautionary tales rather than outright apologies, although I'm sure I can squeeze a little one in along the way. Our daring commanders have been tearing along the space lanes, delivering mugs like Aussie Outback truckers and massive star trains, wearing dirty vests and dodging interdictions by demented space pirates, hell-bent on depriving needy communities of their mugs. But somewhere along the line, the trucking takes a toll and a few of our number have had a little incidents this week. Most have been as simple as selling the, all of their mugs at one station then flying off before realising, but for some, the consequences have been much more serious. Commander Snark 3D got lazy with his station keeping out at Hutton, and after some snuggling with a gun turret, was declared outlaw, promptly obliterated and sent to detention's fatality to explain exactly why they had been rubbing up against a gun turret in the first place. On discovering that one of their target stations was in famine and too poor to buy a mug, Commander Flossie decided to do her bit and help them out. She donated what mug she had and then agreed a contract with the local governing faction to bring in thousands of tonnes of much-needed coffee to help with the situation. On her way back, pirates struck swooping in on her T9 to rob her of her precious life-giving cargo. She dodged and she weaved and she submitted and she boosted, but in the end she couldn't shake them and her ship was shot out from under her. Oh, the humanity. All that coffee gone to waste. I can only apologise for the trauma this image has caused you, dear listener. Commander Rincewind Kimru was left in a sticky situation while taking mugs to a remote station. Having dropped into system and set in course to in supercruise, he popped off to attend to a call of nature. Well, too many food cartridge dinners and holding it in meant that he was detained for longer than he intended. The rumbling, shaking and juddering noises heard throughout the ship were put down to the plumbing system trying to cope, and he thought no more about it. However, it became apparent that something was wrong when he attempted to leave the facilities, only to be informed that due to an oxygen depletion on the other side of the door, this would not be possible. Next came a notification from his insurance company that he would be expected to pay 6 million credits for a replacement ship, and there he stayed for 14 hours in a space toilet with a broken flush mechanism, alternating between swearing in Welsh and singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Finally, a salvage crew picked him up while nosing through the remains of his ship and returned him to a spaceport. So remember, 
while mugs are important and there are a lot of stations waiting to be mugged, take frequent breaks rather than long ones. Watch out for gun turrets and always make sure you have a fast ship when transporting coffee. Anyway, happy interstellar frozen yoghurt day. And hey, let's be careful out there. Mia Harkness, Apology Officer, Team Hotbox. Or sorry again. Hutton-Orbital may be 0.21 light-years from the entry point in the system, but at least it has, you know, the system's four suns, seven planets, including Eden, on its doorstep, and two other stations to keep it company, even if they are a distance away. Pity, then, Cayley Dock in the Julansa system, a refinery station that has nearly 35,000 inhabitants, and what can they look forward to as they gaze out of that window? A single Titori star. So it's not even scoopable. 18,390 light seconds away. And an asteroid belt. That's it. Nothing else. Not a sausage. Not even a tourist beacon or a wandering comet or a compromised nav beacon that would at least bring passing trade, even if it was in the pirate variety. We salute Commander Dan Glebitz, who visited this station and brought them Centauri Megagen, along with Hutton Mugs, for the inhabitants. We think that if someone accidentally chances upon this station in the future, for why else would anyone want to go there, then unless the inhabitants have already killed each other in a drunken brawls, the commander didn't say how much Megagen he delivered, that there will be a statue of the mysterious stranger. The man they called Dan, who came to visit one day and brought a little ray of sunshine to the lives of the inhabitants of Cayley Dock. Good evening, trackers. Atrus5060 reporting in with the latest intel on the Thargoid War. At the time of this recording, Eagle Eye is still reporting nonsense and Aegis is nowhere to be seen. Cannon's efforts to wrap the Eagle Eye installations in tinfoil did not help, but what it did do is allow you to pick up old episodes of Match of the Day if you tune your communications array just right in the old Earth radio frequency spectrum. In the meantime, Thargoids are running amok in the Pleiades and the Witch Head Nebula. Active combat zones are still present in HIP 16813, Taygeta, Lembassa, and Evangelis. The stations in these systems are still on fire, oh my, and in need of evacuation. AXI, or is it Axie, and its allies have also noted that the Thargoids have bolstered their numbers in these incursions, making it harder to clear them. So please get out there and do your part, truckers. It appears that Hackswing's gone missing this week. I think they're busy chasing down the Thargoids, so we can't tell you where to focus your efforts this week. Just go to those places and blast those aliens. Good luck out there, truckers, for the mug. Lou has gone missing again this week, and he's going to be sore about this one, as there's actually something happening in Hutton Space that needs talking about. 
Yes, with the update to the Political Players Handbook 5th edition in a recent fractional faction patch, a variety of new system states have been identified. Whilst Tutton systems in the bubble seem to be as stable as a Lavecon documentary maker and calmer than the seas under the Aurora Australis, at least today, we've been thrown into a right old state. Without warning, someone at the Pilots Federation declared today a public holiday in Alpha Centauri and gave everyone the day off plus bonus rations of Hutton mugs. Yes, we are up to 75 mugs each for a short period whilst we all A. Celebrate and B. Work out why we're celebrating. Is it Bob Marley's birthday? A celebration of women being allowed the vote back in the day? Only those over the age of 30, of course, flippity gibbets had to wait another 10 years. Is it the anniversary of the Beagle, an animal very close to Alvin's heart and height, reaching Tasmania, the home port of the Aurora Australis? We don't know, but we do love a good party. Of course, by the time we've all flown to Hutton, the party will be over, the dance floor all sticky and covered in broken glass and the ceiling strewn with streamers. But it was fun whilst it lasted. Once we know how long a public holiday lasts, that is. Over in Colonia, the coffee machine is broken down in tier and there are rumours that poor maintenance of the toaster, George Foreman grill and dishwasher are pending. So they need food until the bun warmer is fixed and a machinery to fix the popcorn machine as soon as possible. And now it's time for a little Norma Snockers. As Flossie's busy with the next chapter of her autobiography, I'll tell you what's what with her CCCGs. The galactic mugging rumbles along and we're approaching 40% complete at speed with nearly 22,000 stations complete and 7,000 systems totally mods free. There's a bit of competition brewing at the top table with Doc Jack and Montgomery Python trading places and both around the 1000 mug mark. The 240th commander has now signed up and we're running at an average of over 90 mugs per pilot. With allocations sitting at 75 at the moment, that's a minimum of two Hutton runs per commander. Hutton Orbital, two Hutton ports, a Hutton station, a pair of docks, a ring and a landing are all mods free. Alvin has placed an order for immediate mugging of Hutton Colony in Warwickare, Hutton Dock in Didarengu, Hutton Ring in Lalandi 22701, Hutton Depot in LTT 2099 and Hutton Horizons in Rigor Sages and Blata. Of course, Adashit and Kettle Dock have been well mugged as Supermat, though we're a little concerned about Coupen, Mugger and Mugari. That's all from me this week. Thank you very much, the Hutton News Team. Right, as usual, we're getting on with the rest of the show. We've got a talky bit coming up next where we're going to bring you an extensive update on the adventure of the Aurora Australis, a little bit of information on the ECM event, um, a bit of a review from Commander Wotherspoon um, <clears throat> of the Lave Radio Pilots Federation broadcast from earlier, 
uh, information about making your own mugs and whether it's legal or not. All sorts of goodies. And then, of course, we've got the, no, the latest chapter in Flossie's autobiography, which we've been eager to hear for weeks and weeks and weeks. Following up after that, we've got Galnet from Commander Wotherspoon. We have got uh, Buck Naked and Hutton's Top Trucker. A little bit more banter. And, of course, in between all of that, we've got some music. Uh, as usual, we're trying to fox the Litho Breaker with a cunningly contrived theme. So, um, if he's got his pen and paper ready, somebody check. Has he got his pen and paper ready? Right. And Antidote, he has, but it, I don't think he should ooh. stick it there, though. No, no. <laughs> Over your ear, not in it. Um, and as an antidote to the price of Paynite going through the floor, we have Gold on the Ceiling by the Black Keys. And we're back in the studio. Right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to that one. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, we have a busy studio again this evening. We're missing a couple of the regular commanders, but we do have Harry Balsack, also known as Commander Palantir, here. Hello. Hello. Now, you, you've had a, <coughs> excuse me, a, a busy week, Squire. I did. I was accompanying a certain kilted gentleman. Ah, right. You, you, were, you were kidnapped from your, your home station. I was, and I went to the wilds of darkest kent to accompany a certain cecil as he uh, rambled on and on and on for hours in front of a microphone <laughs> well i'm sure that was um entertaining at the very least so yes you you, you were down with uh, yes it, it was but uh, but i i took snacks <laughs> yes well <coughs> excuse me i did notice that uh, mrs palantir had uh, packed you a lovely packed lunch yes and, and, lots of and for cecil as well and for Cecil as well, and and for the studio team. But we, yes. we were joined down at the studio by um, Paul from HCS Voice Packs and Mazia. And now he he kept getting the the producers, you know, the um the, the button pushers, you know, the, the the studio owner's name wrong. Was he a Ken or a Dan or an Alan? I can't remember. He kept getting his name wrong. I think that may be something to do with only having had one hour sleep in the last week. Well, yeah, possibly. So we we turned up, and we've done a little bit of publicity about this, but we, we turned up having carefully crafted in response to a request by um, the customers of HCS Voice Packs uh, an update to the Cecil Pack, which was a wonderfully put-together set of 22 pages. And we thought, that's going to be it. And we were supposed to be sharing the studio with another voice that they are recording at the moment. And we turned up to find it was just us. And Paul had a present for us. Yes, a further forty-six 40... page, another forty-six oh. pages of script. Yes, <laughs> yes, forty-six pages of many, many, many lines and variations on the frameshift drive engaged. But said in your best Cecil. Now, ordinarily you could just stand there and, <clears throat> funnily enough, my voice is going. Um, stand there and read the lines, but the instruction came through. Now you've got to ad lib it, make it sound like Cecil. So yeah, we had a, a two-hour mission to to ad lib and um, come up with another yeah two hours worth of audio for Cecil <coughs> in response to requests that he ought to be able to control the ship or at least attempt to. Yes, if if you're that brave. Yeah. So uh, goodness knows what they're going to do, but it it has now been all recorded and it's been sent off to um, Fiery Toad and the thing is who are going to attack it with a, a set of shears and chop it into itty bitty bits. And then they're going to update Cecil Pack to um, be compatible with a singularity. 
Um, does any does anybody here in the rest of the studio? I'm going to introduce everybody else in a minute, but I'm going to cut across and and ask a question. Does anybody fly or has flown with the uh, one of the packs enabled? Yes. And do you use the singularity? You got different voices on different stations in the bridge. Uh, I only have the one voice. Uh, it was the first one they ever made. Um, and since getting the new computer, I haven't installed it. So um, all the new sparkly things that they're adding at the moment i haven't tried out yet ah okay well they, they upgraded a bunch of things so they, they updated um their software to automatically read your keybinds file so people with custom keybinds could um get all set up <coughs> without having to do loads of editing they also um created their own um a bit like the hutton helper a little uh, journal reader that could look at what was happening around you and um react to it and then they um, allowed you to put different voices in different roles on the bridge so i think you can you can have midnight over on the helm and you could have orion over on science yeah or I, just one I, voice pack yeah i have eight different voice packs you can have six different stations occupied at any one time so most sessions i go in and then get them to randomly distribute around the ship which mm -hmm. is which is great fun and the other thing that it's changed comparatively recently is the updates now there is a, a voice pack um tools once you've got those installed from then on in every update it just pops up and says you've got an update click here it downloads you say click again and it's done that's it's about two or three clicks and your update is done it's brilliant and we've had a, a message in from a commander phoenix defire um saying that yes he does indeed use six of the voice packs and having vasco in the uh, in combat is very motivating Sounds awfully like that rather loud, beardy gentleman from Flash Gordon, doesn't it? It certainly does. Yeah. <laughs> Lave radios alive. Anyway. Oh, bless. <laughs> and I say effing things a lot. Yes. Um, so, yes, you could do that. But, um, see, the original Cecil pack was um, actually bought by the community themselves. So everybody chucked in a couple of quid to pay for the studio time. And uh, <coughs> we were raising money for special effect as well. And so we went and created the Cecil pack originally sort of for the truckers and anybody else who listened to the show and put it out there and did nothing with it. And uh, a few people bought it and some pennies went to special effect, which was great. And then for two years... We sort of ignored Cecil terribly when he went off to Colonia. And I, I um, made the... It's not a mistake. I, I made the um, surprising decision to log on to their Discord channel. Um, oh, it must have been about a week ago. At which point one of their team noticed and forwarded me 11 pages of demands from their audience that Cecil should be compatible with the Singularity update. So you could call him to the bridge. So, yes, that's what we've done. So we've updated him. So those people who've already got the Cecil pack, um, there should be an update coming for you. Um, now, we're in discussion with HCS at the moment because one of the core things about Cecil was that you really, really, really don't want the drunken old sod attempting to pilot your ship. Or so push why buttons. on earth would we want him to be part of Singularity? Well, why would why? you want to spend an hour and a half driving out to some godforsaken station in the middle of nowhere because you can well oh the, 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 the cecil is uh, alongside the ship's parrot and the ship's cat um classed as a companion pack that reacts to the things that you're up to so one of the roles that exists on the bridge that's fulfilled by those two but also can be fulfilled by cecil is to just accompany you on your voyage and talk while you're doing things you know that long journey out to sad joy or 
Beagle Point. He can pour you a cocktail. He can tell you tales of his adventures out in space. And, of course, react whenever you die with many insults. Um, so he is very much a companion and reaction pack, not a control pack. However, the demands from the audience were that they really wanted to allow him to attempt to fly the ship too. So it is likely, if they can get it all sorted, that there will be a, an upgrade, a bonus upgrade that you can get that's not part of the core pack to allow Cecil to have a go at flying your ship. Have a go? Yes. <laughs> that sounds it ominous. will be marketed very clearly with do not buy this pack, do not spend money on it. We are not responsible for the consequences. <laughs> Right. Apparently, a big red button marked "Do not push" is, um, yeah, a very tempting thing for a lot of pilots out there in the galaxy. But we are telling them not to push it. Is there um, is there going to be options to have Cecil purely as a, you know, a a, a comrade aboard your ship? Who no, that is the core. That's the pack we have at the moment. Yes, that is the companion pack. He is just a, as you say, a comrade aboard your ship commentating but, on what you're when you to. say that <laughs> you say that I, i've i've had cecil turn off my my hud yeah but <laughs> did, did you not tell him stop that so that he puts it back on again anyone can make a mistake <laughs> what does this button do what yeah, does this right. button do is is one of the regular things he says yes um <clears throat> that, that is that is one of the few buttons he's actually got access to from where he sits um but if you buy the new pack does it have the old pack options in with the new pack? So if you didn't uh, want no, him so messing you've got, around you've got with the anything. The core Cecil pack is still the same. It's a reaction pack. You call him to the bridge and he bimbles around making drinks, going through your luggage, searching the hold of the ship, that kind of thing. Um, and getting upset when pirates attack or the police are chasing you. Um, then what we're looking at at the moment, and it is down to the technical team, is the, the, the upgrade pack, shall we say, is effectively a separate piece of voice work where Cecil stops reacting and starts doing. And I'm warning everyone now, don't get it. It <laughs> is not entirely safe. So it, it, it's, it's going to be there on the website and with a big sign saying, don't buy this one. There was some talk about um, if he starts to do something stupid, if you're quick enough, you can stop him most of the time. Well, this is where the question mark hangs over what the team wants to do. All they said is they wanted all of the commands programmed in and leave it with them. Trust us. We, we, we've got a handle on the guy now. We hate him, but we, we've got a handle on him. All of the commands? I'm 48 pages of responses, yes. Can he do things like turning on silent running at yes. unexpected times? Yes. Can he press fire the self-destruct button? Chaff, deploy and hide weapons. Uh, launch the SRV, launch the fighter, or ask them to dock. Um, right. So if you're in the middle of combat... I, I couldn't possibly comment. It oh says very clearly, terms and conditions apply, do not buy this pack. <clears throat> I, I, I recall that he has, on occasion... Um, sent rude messages to other people in <laughs> in, in, in the system. Um, yeah, I mean, if you have incoming comms, he, he does talk to people for you. Yes. Makes friends with them. Yes. Well, he says pleasant things like for the mug or challenges them to a bout of fisticuffs, yeah. <laughs> um, and not just the NPCs either. See, this sounds like a pack I'm, I'm going to have to get. <clears throat> well, the well, hope it, is it'll be ready for ECM. 
Yeah, well, certainly the Singularity pack should be ready for ECM, and we're just talking to them about what to preserve from the original and what's coming from the new. He has got 15 new cocktails to his name as well. He has been sampling them extensively. 50? Wow. 15, one five. 15, one yes. five. Oh, one five. Okay, right. Five. So Sorry, that, that, takes, that takes him up to it's, a, it's a, not a, mad. a repertoire of 30 <laughs> cocktails now, including <laughs> things like the Neutron Highway um, and the Imperial Hammer, which sounds ominous. And three and a half pages of new important facts. Oh, these are, he has been reading and digesting encyclopedias and, and is going to tell you all sorts of interesting things about the galaxy as well. Um, and you can also banish him down to the hold to go and have a go through all the stuff down in the hold as well. So you, you should be able to, by the time it's finished, um, banish Cecil to the hold, which is probably the safest place for him. I am so going to take Cecil mining. Oh, we did record <laughs> some lines for that. <laughs> um, because of course he can now as a result of being part of the singularity pack respond to the elements of the journal including we understand it an extensive library of incoming text messages but this all depends on the wonderful team at HCS and what they're going to do with it they've got the lines and they're going to glue it all together and then we're going to see see what they come up with and, and of course the money you spend on the pack is uh, well spent Yes, because um, unlike with professional actors, um, they don't actually have to pay Cecil. They just give him a few gins and the pennies um, head off to uh, special effects direction. That's so cool. All in a good cause. So th there we go. Um, yeah, shameless self-promotion. But look, it it's all thanks to the truckers who actually paid for it in the first place or paid for the studio time in the first place. A bunch of um, Hutton truckers got together, um, chucked their money in just to cover the, the base costs of the recording studio time and help us raise money for charity. I must admit, I've not checked with Paul what the annual donation is, but it it's, uh, it's a reasonable sum, judging by the 11 pages of irate customers that want more. So yes, that's that one. Right, and we've got we've got an update. We have an update. Oh, actually, well, I've only introduced Harry Balsack. No, before we go any further then, having, having done that one, you've heard just a second ago the mellifluous tone of Commander Wotherspoon. Good evening, Squire. Good evening. I'm going to ask you a few questions in a bit about the earlier broadcast today. Oh, just so right, you're ready okay. for it. Yes, yes. And we Not have sure Flossie. I remember the earlier broadcast. Oh, right. And mm. we have Commander Flossie. Hello. Uh, Commander Flossie, who's been busy taking on pirates in <laughs> the way only Flossie can. By yeah, exploding really close to them, <laughs> just to put them off their stride. Yes. Uh. Um, and, of course, Amelia, who is now toasty, snug and warm, aren't you? Oh, yes. Because the heating has been working for a whole week? It has been turned on and I have not turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sort of basking in a glow. The whole house is glowing slightly now. Yes, you can see us from Alpha Centauri. The cloud of steam coming off of your house. Yeah, your your neighbours must love you because they just sort of rest their hands on the wall and gain warmth from next door. We are ebbing heat. Yes, one of those thermal cameras outside your place, it just glows in the distance. <laughs> and of course, on the uh, the decks this evening, we have uh, Commander Ventura, who is mashing all the buttons and Hello. doing the do. Hello. Um, and has tracked down all the music for us this yes, evening. Yes, Exactly. Okay, so um, our update. Um, the, the update we gave last week on the uh, Aurora Australis proved to be relatively popular. Had quite a lot of messages from people saying, ooh, science and mugs down in the Antarctic. And um, they sent back some questions, and um, they've been emailing us the, the sit rep. 
uh, from the ship. So I can't remember what we covered last week. So we know that they'd made the journey from Tasmania down to the Antarctic. They'd reached the Antarctic. Can, can, can you actually explain to me what what this is? And I know it's a resupply mission. I know yep. there are two bases. Um, ah, okay. So uh, is that right? rewind to the beginning. Okay. <laughs> yes, Aust- Australia's got um, a number of Antarctic um, science and research bases. In fact, it's got two, Mawson and Davis, down on the Antarctic, which is basically head down a bit and left a bit from Tasmania until you bump into rocks and ice. Um, and they've got a couple of bases down there that do all sorts of science from... Um, the environmental stuff, um, looking at you know the, the penguins and seals and and breeding habits, to taking samples, dealing with climate. <clears throat> they do um, whale monitoring for the southern seas. Um, they do science experiments that you can only do down in really cold and uh, conditions down there as well. So there are whole science teams based down there, and they resupply a couple of times a year. Um, so they send a ship out from an icebreaker out from Tasmania down to Davis and Mawson, and they bring them their supplies. They bring them uh, their SRVs and I'd imagine some food as well. <laughs> Wouldn't want them to be starving and, you know, whatever they need, a couple of, a couple of times a year. And there's a Hutton trucker, Commander Dog's Breath, who happens to be mission leader on board the Aurora Australis, which is Australia's current, currently their only icebreaker, though there are some great videos of the new one. I think it had its prop shaft dropped in this week. Um, so I think there is a new ship coming, but the Aurora Australis uh, is also known as the Orange Ruffy, mainly because it's orange and it's quite rough and tough. And it yeah heads down and resupplies, and it's got jet barges on board. It's got fast launches. It's got um, oh little um, what do you call it drones that they send up as well because they're much cheaper than helicopters. It actually has a helicopter on board as well. And they use all of this to resupply the bases, and then it travels along the coast around the Antarctic, resupplies the second base, and uh, then comes back again to Tasmania. Um, and usually ready to be used again on other missions, but this time I believe it's finishing its life as the resupply vessel and being replaced by a shiny new one. Um, yes, and this year the crew agreed to take hot mugs with them so that mugs could go to the Antarctic and cure everybody of mods. For the mug. For the mug. For the mug. Yeah. So um, I think last week we were talking about the journey. They've been sending us photos back, and Amy's been doing science. Amy is the deputy mission leader, working alongside Commander Dog's Breath, and holding a gold hut mug in her broadcasts on Twitter, has been talking about the science they've been up to with phytoplankton, I think we mentioned last week. Um, anyway, they arrived at uh, the first station, which is Davis. They were promptly quarantined because there was a risk of mods because of um, coronavirus. So they... Um, had to resupply without coming into contact with anybody. And I think they said non-breeding, was it non, non-breeding non seals? They had to treat all of the people on Davis as non-breeding seals. The distance stay, that yep. they need to keep from non-breeding seals. Yeah, five metres away from them. Uh-huh. And so they managed the resupply. So they loaded an SRV, a sort of caterpillar tracked um, twin twin vehicle um they craned it off onto the jet barge and, and got it on there with the supplies. Um, but then a storm came in. With seven seven meter waves and eighty knot seventy eighty knot gusts of wind, uh, so they then had to go and uh, hide, which is known as stooging. Apparently, they were stooging. Now, asking our resident stooge, Palantir, do you know what stooging is? I think it's basically hanging about in the ocean and pretending to do stuff. It's going forwards and then waiting for the sea to push you back again. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, let's not get too near those rocks. They look pointy. Let's drive up and down while the storm goes away. I think you need to keep underway or else you rock around sort of terribly. So what you do is you sort of head into the waves and into the wind and you travel very, very slowly um, because you don't actually want to go anywhere. You want to just, just ride out the storm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is probably quite unpleasant. <laughs> Well, it, I mean, they, they were having good fun, and the mugs, the uh, pictures of the mugs they've been sending back, precariously balanced on little shelves, sort of outboard of the main yeah. ship, um, in a storm with 70 mile an hour winds, and the mugs are just sat there as happy as anything, full of tea, and usually as tea. Well, and um, yeah, everybody wrapped up really warm, so they did the stooging. Now, uh, the Commander Dogsbreath said the closest thing he can think of in space is waiting for your notoriety to drop off. So driving around, just waiting for it to lessen. <coughs> anyway, so we, we talked last week about the... Uh, I, I'm really excited about what they're up to because there's a mug in the Antarctic, so we're, we're going to be dull about this for a while. But they um, they talked last week about the um, their whale moorings where they have a, a special sensor they lob over the edge to listen to all the whales in the southern seas. Ah, we had a question on that, didn't we? How far can they hear the whales from? Yeah, because they were saying last week they could actually recognise individual whales. So they actually then emailed back to uh, home base and the scientists there to say, well, could, could you give us some details? And they replied. So the short answer to the question is that the detection range is constantly changing, a bit like yours is in Supercruise, and can be extremely variable. Uh, the Mordred callers are high-quality instruments, so in the right circumstances, the detection ranges of certain whale species, such as blue whales, is several hundred kilometres. Wow. <laughs> That's really, really, really far. It's not in space, but you get the idea. In extremely favourable circumstances, the detection range actually goes over a thousand kilometres. Okay. That's presumably because water is very, very good at conducting sound. especially Yes, and whales sounds. are very, very loud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the longer answer, apparently, is the detection range depends heavily on how noisy or quiet the ocean is, the type and intensity of whale sound being produced. You know, are they shouting, Oi, Steve! Oh, no, I hope they haven't noticed me. You know, whispering or shouting. Uh, the depth of the recorder, the temperature of the ocean, composition of the seabed, capabilities of the recording device, all of these interacting complex ways. The maths I remember studying at university really hurts your head. Um, and it presents big challenges for precisely estimating range. Apparently, wind and ice are the major noise sources in the Antarctic. It's one of the great things about being down there. You haven't got industrial noise and too many ships, but you do have wind and ice. Uh, if you look out the window and see glassy, calm seas and very few icebergs, detection ranges are likely the, the hundreds to thousands of kilometres. If you look out and see large seas with breaking waves, big force eight winds, big chunks of loose sea ice rattling around, which I imagine must be a heck of a view from on board, uh, detection range goes down to two to three kilometres. So it's like that zoom slider on your, on your, um, on your sensors on board your ship. Uh, apparently, if you look out and see icebergs colliding and collapsing right above the recorder, which apparently does happen, um, they overwhelm the sensors, and the only thing you can hear is zero kilometres. You just hear a big crash. Of ice. So, they, they, yeah, they got down to Davis, they did the bit, they had their quarantine, they rode out the storm, they resupplied them. Okay, so they, they didn't go ashore at Davis at all? They just no, sort of because of the waved. risk of coronavirus and okay. the waves from the storm. Did um, anybody have to, have to come off? Yeah, well, they, they waited out a little quarantine period to check that nobody had mods, okay. and then they did offload some passengers. Okay. So the, the storm actually was fairly good, because I understood it. it probably took up some time while they were checking everybody was not you know, horribly afflicted. 
um, before offloading the passengers, but they haven't gone ashore yet. We have had some photographs sent back from the team onshore of the Orange Ruffy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've gone. They dropped everything, like a good Hutton trucker should. They cured them all of mods, they checked they were mods free, and they are on to the next bit of their mission. Which is the other base, is it? Or Oh, well, Science? not quite. They've headed north. So they've left Davis and headed into, I don't even know how to pronounce it, it's Prids, Prides, P-R-Y-D-Z, Prides Bay, to drop two Argo boys, which are done with all sorts of research departments and the Australian Navy. And they drift around in the ocean currents, and every 10 days they, they sink to two kilometres below the surface. Uh, record the depth, temperature, how salty it is, and then they pop back up again. And they transmit the data to a satellite, and then they bob down again. And they do that 100 to 200 times over two to three year period. Well, that sounds really neat. So the, the, they're not just little boys on the on the surface. They actually sort of dive like little little mini submarines. They're, they're, bo- they're bobbing boys. Do science and then pop back up again to, to transmit the details. Yeah, because, of course, signals through water, you have to use sound. But when you hit the surface, of course, you can go for good old-fashioned radio waves. <laughs> and I'd just like to point out for our American listeners, those are buoys. We do buoys. not have small children thrown off the back of a ship. <laughs> With a concrete block <laughs> and a balloon. Well, that's a little bastard's misbehave, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, we did have some pictures, but due to some shenanigans with the email systems, we're not able to bring them to you yet, but we'll, we'll catch back up with those. But apparently this data is vital for climate science, obviously, which is uh, um, in everybody's consciousness at the moment. So they're doing a lot of science with that data as well. And the data is all available in near real time due to the satellites as well. So they can get really accurate data. <coughs> so so they, they went to do that. Just, 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 to, just to ask, I mean, sort of, are, are they sort of like 12 hours offset from us? No, well, they're, they're, they're currently, they were UTC-7. Okay. Well, no, they're now on UTC-7, plus 7, oh, right. which is the same as Mawson, which is the, the westernmost. Oh, right, of, so actually actually they're only uh, seven hours away from us. Yeah, because they've, they've headed down and left a bit, and sort of the earth pinches left a bit, down left there. A bit. The, the lines get closer together down the bottom, Sorry, don't they? Okay. If you know what I mean. Yes. They do, don't they? Yes, that's right. I've seen it on a map. The lines get closer together. Yeah, the big, big, wide things out by Kenya and um, round the round the um, yes. equator. Oh, and that's the of, equator projection. Yes. Yes. The, world, the world's get, a lot smaller when you get to the Antarctic. Yes, and they're also managing to prove that it's not flat in the process. That's useful because some people really believe that. Yep. So yes, they they headed north. They are currently I, I don't know how many um, nautical miles they are north. So they've headed back up a bit, and um, they they went to the whale mooring, and they've they've um, retrieved the old whale mooring and deployed the new oh, whale mooring. Yes, I remember yep. this from last week. This is not where they moor the whales. No, this is this is where they have the thing that listens for whales. Yep, okay. which is tied to a big concrete block and lobbed over the side. Right. Um, and we've got great big pictures. They look like limpets. If you, if, when we get the pictures up there and we retrieve the pictures, these things are, you know, tall, taller than a, a person stood up and big around. They look like a cross between limpets and minions because they've got yellow tops. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and they, they have to lay them out. Um, they've, got, they've got a flat deck at the back where you can sort of drive off or lob things off the back of the vessel. And they sort of lie them out with all the cables. Um, so they um, retrieved it using a fast response cross. They're FRC, a bit like an SRV, but wet. Yes. Um, and they did also some man overboard, MOB, man overboard drills oh, no. as well. Did somebody fall over? No, no, it was drill. They were doing drills, practice. Okay. So they were, they were using their speedboat and their um, man overboard drills to get hold of the, um, 
build whale mooring. And the, the new one that you have to sort of lay it all out on the deck very neatly because all the lines could get tangled up. It's a bit like some parachute lines getting tangled up. Mm-hmm. And then they have to lower it into the water in reverse order. So they put the floats in first, the bob around on the top, and then the acoustic box that listens to the whales and the electronics package. Um, and then the acoustic release mechanism, and then finally the weights, big concrete weights that hold it to the floor as well. <laughs> Drop the concrete in and the whole thing disappears. <laughs> Just hope there's not a whale underneath going, ow, <laughs> you bastard. Yes, at least they get some sounds from the whales then. Yes. Ouch. <laughs> um, so, yes, they, they are, I, I did look at the map, and they are, um, I think, on the verge of heading back down to Mawson, which is the second of their drop-offs, to mug that one. So they are actually part of the hot mess team. They are mugging both those stations for us. Yeah. And um, I'm just I'm just glancing at their uh, their daily sit rep as we speak here. So here we go. Voyage sit reps. See if there's any update from them. Go to the last one. We will post up links to these as well. So if anybody does want to follow the little map. Um, okay, so mean- they are apparently now heading to the entrance to Iceberg Alley, which is currently still ice filled. So they are looking at ice-breaking options on their arrival, so they will actually have to use the icebreaker to break the ice. They are an icebreaker. Yep. They can do this. Very useful at parties. So, yes, they're going, they're going to a part down there where there is significant sea ice, and um, it, it's sort of almost like a, a bay that's a loop that you head sort of into, more into the Antarctic and closer to the, closer to the bottom. You know what I mean. Yes, because the Antarctic actually is a huge continent. It's twice the size of the continental United States. It's a big old place, but it has all these little inlets that are full of sea ice. And at certain times of the year, like in the summer at the moment, you can you can use your icebreaker to crunch through that and uh, get, get yes, into those and inlets. Yes, and in fact, I tell you what, for, for our listener, um, let me, I'm just going to paste into the on-air room here a little link. Here we go. And that's the voyage tracker for where they are. I can see that they've headed southwest towards Mawson now as well. So they are um, geographically at a, heading for about oh, 60, 65 degrees east, give or take. 65. Yeah, okay. So that's, that is so definitely that's heading towards South Africa, if you like. Yeah, they're going to be halfway between Australia and South Africa in terms of the, the vertical alignment, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. South of the Indian Ocean. How about that? Yes. Um, so, yes, that's... And I know we're... This, this isn't about your spaceships and everything else, but it's dead exciting. And there are loads of lovely pictures of mugs coming back from the team. Should we put that link in the Twitch chat, do you think? Oh, go on then. If, you, if, if you've got, if you've got oh, your scissors I, and your sticky, sticky I have, stuff. I have done. I, I had done. I thought I had. Hang on. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I'll, put, I'll, give, you, I'll give you two links there. I'm going to give you that one. And there's also the... The Citrep, and, and by the way, if you notice it, the official government website of the Australian Government Department for the Environment, every single one of the Citreps is signed off with three important letters, F, T, and M. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's, there's probably civil servants sitting in Canberra wondering, what on earth does FTM mean? Ah, well, luckily not. Because they did actually send a message from that team saying, what's this all about? So we had to send them a full breakdown of what Hutton was. <laughs> so it's now official. It's it's now officially recognised by at least a couple of members of the Department of the Environment down in Australia. Excellent. So, it, so, um, so this first link is actually a tracker which allows you to follow the ship? Yeah, the first link that we've pasted into the Twitch chat, yeah, that, that's um, as a daily Citrep <laughs> update map. 
Okay. Um, so they've traveled 245.2 nautical miles in the last 24 hours. See, this is all for buck naked. You can put these guys into the top trucker calculations. And they are 511 nautical miles away from Mawson. Uh, they have high clouds and 13 knots of winds. The air temperature is 1.1 degrees Celsius. And they have and confused seas. And the sea is 2.2 degrees. Yeah. Yeah, and they have confused seas. And I love this one. There are occasional bergs and growlers. I'm going to have to ask them. Yeah, I think we do need. <laughs> I think my terminology for what a growler is is yes, a yes. different thing for theirs. Yes. I like so the description of the whale mooring as well. It's it's basically a microphone in a very watertight box. Very watertight. Well, yes, it's it's at temperature. I mean, at pressure Indeed. and cold temperatures, and yes. It would have to be seamless to work. Seamless. Oh, definitely yeah. a seamless <laughs> box. Andy but, and Amy, FTM. Yeah, and in terms of power management, um, we did ask them the question as to whether it was had a little generator on board that was motion you know, causing electricity in there, or it had really, really good batteries? And the answer is no, it's got really, really, really good batteries. Because they actually have a release mechanism in there that sends signals through the water to things go ping and allow it to <coughs> float up and all sorts. So, yes, they've got exceptionally good batteries that last a number of years uh, doing this mission, listening to whales. So their power management is epic. I got to admit, I have been enjoying looking at all the photos that you posted to the Facebook group page. Yeah, they have gone a little bit mad because um, we did notice that when it snowed heavily, they went out onto one of the flat decks and drew a giant hut and mug with FTM across it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so the, the, the crew have officially gone proper hut and bonkers. How do they communicate back? Does this all come back via satellite? Yes, they managed to get special permission from the um, gentleman in charge of communications to use a little bit of their bandwidth to send us info. Wow. That was really nice of them. Yeah, well, they're raising money for charity as well. So the mugs, as long as they survive, um, and even if they don't, we're going to stick them back together again, um, are being signed by the expedition team and coming back to civilization, and they will actually be auctioned off for charity. Um, and where will they be auctioned off, or is it going to be online? Uh, t TBC. Obviously, we don't want to restrict it to just going down to one of our one of our events, you know, ECM or you know, LaveCon later in the year with um, and, and the raffles. We want to open it up to the full community. So details will be forthcoming once we know what the plan is. Ah, watch this space. Yes. Um, but yes, they will be used to raise money for a number of charities, um, as all Hutton things do. So, listener, there you go. You're, you're educated about science and climate and whales and bobbing boys now. Penguins. If any, yeah, if anybody has any questions, they I mean, it's relatively sensible questions because we are using up their bandwidth. They'd like us to email over to the crew over on the Aurora Australis. Then, you know, please do send them in to I took part at huttonorbital.com. Just think about and that. And we'll compile. Any questions you do have, or if you paste them into the chat, I'm sure we can grab them from there. And um, we can compile a little list of questions for the team, um, for Andy, also known as Dog's Breath, and Amy. And we'll, we'll see what they come back with, all their science teams. Just the thought of being, being able to communicate with somebody who's in the Antarctic. There are not many people in the Antarctic. There's a few no. hundred at most at any yep. one time. And and at least one of them's a Hutton trucker. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, no waiting for a pad to be free when you want to land. 
But not when you've got an icebreaker. No, wallop. <laughs> Actually, Antarctic population, here we go. There are about 4,000 people through the summer months and 1,000 wow. over winter each year spread across the entire Antarctic. And that is, like I say, twice the size of the United States. Yes. So they're quite spread out. Yep. <laughs> well, they're concentrated in tiny little bases. Some of them look really cool, the modern bases, and they're on little legs that help them move and things. But um, the Antarctic bases are actually, um, these are on the rocky parts of the shore. And in fact, you, when you look at the pictures that we've posted up, you can see the giant glacier that's next to the team um, and then the rocky section to one side of it. So they are right on the border between a, an enormous glacier um, and the, a rocky section. Yeah. Anyway, I suppose we better get on with sort of Hutton-related yeah. things. It's all very serious. We're almost turning into live radio here. And talking of live radio... Uh, Seamless, Amelia. Seamless. Absolutely. Commander Wotherspoon, they were broadcasting earlier, a special broadcast with the Pilots' Federation. They were, yes, that's right. Um, 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 let me think now, who was it? Ben and, ben and Colin um, were racing with um, Stephen, and Will was looking on and giggling a bit. Um, Lave Radio were talking about what Lave Radio does and sort of what they get up to and what they do on a Tuesday evening and why they do what they do on a Tuesday evening. And um, Shan had invented this this um, little race for them to do, to take some Lavian brandy from Lave Station and go and visit as many stations that began with the name Stephen as they could and... Try not to be pirated by Ascorbius and Shan, and sometimes Kurgle, um, who were who were lying in wait for them. And every time every time they got pirated, they had to drop a ton of Lavian brandy, and then it's who had the most Lavian brandy left. All right, so Shan and Shan and Scorb are now half cut, if not fully cut. <laughs> They've had a fair amount of Lavian brandy, yes. And Shan Shan managed to um, managed to attack. Um, Stephen Benedetti's uh, ship with a, a hatchbreaker limpet. So um, there were quite quite a lot of Lavian brandy um, canisters flying out the back, which was uh, quite quite amusing. Of course, yes, they they are our sister station. The the link between them is obviously we we do share a bunch of technology. A lot of the people um, who live and love Lave, also uh, the Hutton truckers as well. A lot of the people you meet down at LaveCon. Uh, Hutton Truckers, and in fact, Lave is the um, location where the idea for the Hutton mug was born, because they were throwing mugs at each other, or somebody was. And, yes, um, yes. Then, uh, I, yes. I think there's, I think there's more of a backstory to that, isn't there? If you go a bit, bit further back, there was there was something oh, to do with Dockers and that's um, right, and, Mr. and, and, that, and yeah. that was to do with one of one of the backer rewards, wasn't it? Um, oh, I think there was there was something to do with a, a podcast and uh, one of the characters throwing mugs at people and um, shouting mug and lobbing mugs at people. Yes, absolutely. And then and then they did the live fully at LaveCon with lots and lots of One Direction mugs, which they smashed. And up. then there was the. Wouldn't it be great if this silly place Hutton had a mug, its own mug? And there, yes. there, the rest is as they say history. It is. There, there you go, Amelia. A potted history of Hutton's Hutton's birth. That's cool. I mean, I would like to know more. I'd like to know more details. Okay. Well, we can maybe make a, a bit about it in a, a future week's show, some of the history of the mug. I think it would be very interesting. Well, in, in that last, um, what, 50%? That, yeah, on the home run. I tell you what, when we reach 50% on the hot mess, 
Mm. We will serialise the remaining weeks, a few potted bits of history about the mug. That sounds like fun. we've been up to for four years. And we are up to 39.11% as of now. Right, so... 0.11%. That's mm-hmm. a lot. 10.89% left, and we'll start writing about the mug. There you go. Nice. Because Floss- Flossie's been there since the beginning, haven't you, Flossie? Yeah, I have. <laughs> Flossie, I think, was actually present at the rather drunken discussion where it was discussed in the first place, or at least very nearby. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't at that particular. Oh, you weren't at that one? No. There was the, that was the second LaveCon. No, I think the I first missed one at the one. Centre. It was, oh, you weren't at the second one? Oh, I can't but hear. The, but the, the spirit of Flossie was there, if nothing else. Um, am I am I still here? Here we go. Yes, I am still here. Right. Uh, what else do we have? ECM. Yes. ECM. ECM, cool. the elite community meet. Um, well, lots more people have been buying tickets. Uh, Frontier have been confirming that they've got a, at least a million of their team coming to join us. Or somewhere between 10 and 15, I would guess. Uh, but not yet fully confirmed. <laughs> but it's top secret who they're sending so far. Uh, we have... 173 confirmed people coming so far. So there's less than 30 tickets left. No, no, we have up up the limit a little bit. It says 44 seats on the website at the moment. Ah, yes. Well, we've we've been upping the limit a little bit. We know what the fire capacity of the building is. We know what the sensible capacity of the building is. And then we know what the room we need for all the tables is. So we're going to up that a tiny bit. I think we can take up to 250 overall. But that would be crazy. That would be quite a lot of commandos. Yes. And after that, I think the chef's going to have a heart attack and fall over. Because <laughs> you're all going to be hungry and want feeding at some point as well. Um, but yes, um, we've got confirmation that there is a uh, Vive Cosmos coming, which is one of the, the HTC Vives that doesn't need the little, what do you call them? Towers, you know, the... The lighthouses. The lighthouses. That's the word. Um, it doesn't need lighthouses, and um, you can just, because it's got all the sensors built into the headset itself, so you can stand up and walk around, and it will be being set up so you can walk around ship interiors, at least the cockpits, as you can do currently sort of in VR, but you get strangled by a cable. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it will be... If, if you get the chance to experience that, I highly recommend taking a peek inside the Ferdelance cockpit. It's just... I, I mean, I don't like flying of Fair Lance. I think I, I, I'm a bit OCD and you're always sitting off to the side a bit. But the inside um, has got this really nice interior and it's got like a a star roof where you can just look out and it's it's like an observation deck. It's beautiful. It's the Type 9 that I like. Yes, Type Getting 9 is my favourite ship too. Uh, and look, uh, if yeah. you stand up in the Type 9 and walk behind the pilot seat, you're on this sort of metal gantry and then you can peer over the edge of that because there's a gap on either side as you yes. walk backwards and you can look down and there's another deck below you yes the the type 9 actually has a huge cockpit um one of the largest i think i mean i think it's even bigger than the cutter um when you when you're looking at it because it's multi-leveled yeah. and um you can actually uh, the the base of the actual cockpit area the, the walking around areas is bigger than you know the the whole floor area of my house, so <laughs> so you can't get to the back. Yeah, you can't get to the back. Hmm. It's yeah. huge. You don't realise how and big it, it yeah, is if you haven't experienced it. And also oh, looking yes. around the imperial um, cockpits, the different style of the the seats and chairs and things. 
Yes, in, in the, the in the in the cutter, it's all pristine and white and shiny and yep, it's beautiful. But the, the the plan is we're going to have a computer set up there that's got one of each of the ships, and you are going to be able to um, line up to have a. a a go on this and um, if you've always wanted to look around a particular cockpit i'm sure you'll be able to put your name down and um, go and have a bit of a walk around your favorite cockpit we've also got the full 3d motion chair by commander blasted we've got loads of retro computing going on uh, I, my atari 2600 turned up ooh, a couple of days ago a new one for me new uh, which one. i've got specially well it, it's it's a, a modern retro console so it is in essence, an Atari 2600. Oh, right. Um, but it's got about 100 of the games loaded onto it, and it's got the original controllers and things. So it's um, it's a new version of it with all the old games on it. So I've been playing Centipede and Frogger. Yes. So that's going to be there, along with a load of other bits and bobs, and, of course, Spider-Mind and HCS voice packs and loads of people from the community and Hut Orbital Live from the stage and a bar and food. Yes. I, I, you should have led with that. No. <laughs> the food sounds good. Yes, sponsored by Frontier as well, who are putting on lunch for us. Are they going lunch. to give us Thargoid burgers? <laughs> yes. Not a McThargoids, though, with a McStiffy shake. Ugh. That's a Lave oh. thing. <laughs> oh, or Dockers. I can't remember. Was it Dockers or Lave that did that? Wait, anyway. Dockers, yes. Dockers. So that was that one. Um, now, Flossie. The next thing in yes. the script here says a reminder about fake mugs. Keep the salt low. Right. You're familiar with the Hutton policy on mugs, aren't you? Uh, How does one get always. a Hutton mug? You have to earn it. You have to earn it. A genuine Hutton mug, you have to earn it. But what about all those websites out there that sell Hutton mugs? Are they real? No, they're not. They're fake. And so, will they cure you of mods? No. However, however, there is a particular class of mug that falls between the two. Yeah. That we thoroughly approve of, and, and those are commemorative mugs. Yes. And um, how might one get your hands on a commemorative mug without sort of breaking the rules and ending up with mods? Well, you could go to one of these um, websites that sells the... The mugs and put your own design on. Which you can Would that get be something like the Frontier merchandise? Yeah, creator. something like that, yes. Yep. And you can download one of the logos from the Hutton page and get them to apply that logo to your mug. So there and you go, yes. Would, but it not be for your own personal use. Not and for you're profit. Not allowed to sell it. Yep. No, not no. for profit. Um, so yes, if anybody does want to make themselves, and this is just to clear up a couple of questions, I think we're pasted in from Reddit. People, oh, how do I buy one of these? You can't buy a Hutton mug, but we don't mind if you want to make yourself a commemorative one using one of the logos. Um, just as long as you're not making money out of it or flogging them, that's absolutely fine. And if you use something like the Frontier Merchandise Creator, you can put the Hutton logo and a For the Mug or your commander name on there. We saw some nice white ones, I think. Somebody picked up a picture with some orange and blue writing on a on a white mug that looked quite stylish. And just to be clear, the SVGs, the uh, images of the Hutton uh, logo, are available on our Facebook page in the files section. They yes. are completely free to download as long as you only use them for your own personal mug. Absolutely. And, of course, if you did want to make a charitable donation, 
um, in in recognition of the the hard work that went into designing them, then I'm sure special effect and hearing dogs for the deaf would be eternally grateful. But it is not mandatory. That's purely optional. But saying that, I mean, earning a mug is so much more special. <laughs> it, it it is, and this is stuff that's donated by the community and created by the community. And um, the real prizes are the are the ones that somebody has created to support the activities and support charities so whether it's the mugs or the bulls or the mug mats or the etched stuff that russell does and <clears throat> these are all created by the community and donated out of their generosity to each other effectively to raise everybody's day and the emails we get back saying look that's just made my week i'm having a hard time and that's just cheered me up no end are, are wonderful to see and that's part of the reason why we don't sell them they have to be earned and they have to be awarded but it really does cheer people up when they get them Right, a, a palantir. Yes, yes, sir. Um, now there is um, a Thargoid Interceptor Combat How to Plop a Clops thing. Yes, this, this is coming up on the 26th of February. It's an event that's on our Facebook page. Uh, it's the Hackswing. Uh, a cordially invite you to a Cyclops. I can't pronounce that, obviously. Kill the alien bastards. Yes. Yes. Cyclops. The, yes. the only good bug's a dead bug, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think oh. this is, it's uh, it's a it's a very good good one. Go and look at the event. Um it's going to be nine PM till twelve midnight uh, US uh, Central Standard Time. Um now on on Facebook it does say um, CDT, but daylight saving time doesn't start until March. But um, Central Standard Time is UTC minus six, so that's early in the morning for people on the day shift, but uh, late at night for people on the night shift. But it's it looks starting like three a.m. UK time or Indian yes. time. Okay. Yes, so I mean I'm sure there are plenty of commanders out there who are awake at that time, but it's a little early for some of us. But yes, if you're looking for going, uh, going and uh, doing a little bit more pew pew and uh, and uh, helping to rid us of the few remaining Thargoids, then this looks like a, a good event to be involved in. I like it's the being line. hosted by Paul Reckner. I like Sorry. the line that says, "Do you need to find something to do with all that rebuy money sitting in your bank account? Why don't you come and <laughs> come and lose it all <laughs> with us?" <laughs> Yes, so go pew pew yes. some Thargoids, learn from AX pilots, and uh, you'll find the details on the Hutton Facebook page. Right, well, we've done a lot of talking so far, um, and we haven't really done the, the really interesting bits of the show yet. So I think if um, Flossie and Commander Ventura are ready, um, we're going to go down to speak to Commander Flossie and find out a little bit more about Flossie's past. It's Flossie, it's Flossie, it's Flossie, it's Flossie, and the community goes. Hello, Flossie here. Since CGs and initiatives are on hold, it seems that I'm going to have to dust off some of my old hobbies, such as high G bungee dumping and bear baiting, 
Though, to be honest, putting worms on hooks whilst you're in the nip isn't entirely too risky for your uh, dignity. In the meantime, I thought that it was time that I read some more from my best-selling autobiography, How I Became the Pilots Federation's Favourite Pilot. Now, I've had some messages from listeners about this. It seems that inexplicably, many of you have missed the broadcast where I covered my early years, so the producers of this show have asked if I can start all over again, in hopes that you'll pay more attention this time. Since I'm always willing to oblige, and since I've increased my fee, I'm happy to do this for you, my loyal fans. Chapter 1. A Damp Beginning If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born, and what my lousy childhood was like, and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me, and all that Deborah Copfield kind of crap. So if you're sitting comfortably, I'll begin. I was born, so my parents told me, on Sol in Huddersfield, or at least within the bounds of what used to be Huddersfield, now part of the Great Yorkshire Lake. My parents were at the time posing as underwater archaeologists whilst on the run from the law, owing to a misunderstanding about their following of the philosophies of the French anarchist and some collaborator with Karl Marx, Pierre-Joseph Proudhon, who declared that all property is theft, and the way that they went about an entirely too practical application of those ideas. Consequently, I was born 20 metres underwater in a submersible called Greta T, in which I was to spend the first three years of my life. These early days were filled with amazing and wonderful sights, such a variety of sea that swarm lazily backwards and forwards in front of my viewport, their bright, vibrant colours, something hitherto not associated with Huddersfield outside of Pride Week. Most of the original, now submerged, town had, of course, succumbed to the effects of tide and salt water but some parts still remained. There were eels that called themselves around the arms and legs of a statue of someone apparently called Harold Wilsow. And on one rather lonely wall, that obviously used to be part of a much bigger structure, you could see a plaque and still make out, make out the name James Mason. For some reason, that used to make my parents smile. It was a lonely life in some ways. I had my parents, of course, but I longed for the company of other children. My best friend was a jellyfish that swam past, that I called Mr Squishy, but he never seemed to return my affection. On my third birthday, my parents threw a special party for me. We had raspberry jellyfish, salt and salt flavour skin crisps, sorry, fish flavour skin crisps, Things that they called sausage rolls, but smelled suspiciously of eel, and a cake with a drawing of three lit candles. We couldn't have real candles, of course, not with the pressurised oxygen. When I blew and made a wish, my parents replaced the picture with one showing three smouldering candles, and told me that they had a surprise. 
Their bounties had expired, and you young people reading this probably won't know, but in those days bounties would expire if you could hide from the authorities for long enough. And that we were, at last, heading for our real home. Asteroids? My real home was the asteroids? It's true. Apparently my parents had originally been miners before they fell on hard times. None of your void opal billionaires back then, no sir. Looking at how many hours my parents had to work with their lasers to scrape a crust off the surface of those rocks, I'm not surprised they fell into the pirating ways that had been their downfall. That's all I have time for this week. Next time, I'll be talking about my school days, including the year I spent at boarding school on Rigel 5, and the mysterious fire that happened when I was not smoking in Cubicle 2, and nowhere near the pile of Play Pilot magazines that we didn't keep hidden from the teachers. Flossie told you what to do. Those who claim that every cloud has a silver lining has obviously never thrown through one in a storm. For a less stressful product of weather, we have Silver Rainbow by Genesis. Powerful People Encyclopedia Galactica presents biographies of notable people in the galaxy. This week, Archon Delane. In every galaxy, there has to be at least one self-styled pirate king. Archon Delane was born Archibald de Lacey in Winchester, England in 3249, the only child of Ernest and Florence de Lacey. His parents emigrated to the Harmer system in the Pegasi sector when little Archibald was 12, believing that a desolate system with no terraformed planets had to be preferable to living that close to Southampton. Ernest de Lacey took a job as an accounting clerk with the Harmer Silver Cartel, a local organised crime syndicate. The Silver Cartel believed strongly in the value of insurance to generate repeat business, so were careful to issue accurate receipts for all captured cargo. This was Ernest's job. Socially awkward, de Lacey Jr. attended the Silver Cartel School of Piracy, where his lunch money was used by other pupils to practice their pirating techniques. In 3264, at the age of 15, Archibald had just about had enough. When a stranger tapped him on the shoulder to ask the way to the headmaster's office, young Archie, thinking his lunch money was about to be stolen yet again, finally discovered he couldn't take any more. In an incandescent rage born of despair and self-loathing, he punched and pummeled the stranger to death with his bare fists. The stranger it transpired was Pirate Lord Gandergast the Ghastly, Lord and leader of the Kumo crew, come to give the speech at prize-giving day. By inadvertently defeating the Pirate Lord, young Archie not only caused prize-giving day to be rescheduled, but also automatically became the new Pirate Lord of the Kumo crew. Thrust into the rough and tumble of life as the galaxy's premier pirate lord, Archie discovered that he had a hidden talent for organising ragtag bands of pirates into an efficient industrial machine, passing vast quantities of stolen goods through the warehouses of Pegasi, all correctly tagged and receipted. 
He employed time and motion inspectors to make sure the pirating was being done in the most efficient way possible, and limited his employees' comfort breaks to one ten-minute break every two hours, something that earned him the reputation of being a ruthless dictator. Lord Archie employed a company of image consultants who advised him that a more piratical name might improve his chances of success. The name they brainstormed is the one he uses today, Archon Delane. The consultants also created the hollow me images of Delane that are used in Kumu Crew publicity. In fact, Delane is a skinny, underweight 56-year-old who likes wearing a kaftan and sandals, but who understands the need for a good brand image. As part of the process of establishing his new image, Delane threw the consultants into his darkest dungeon and starved them to death, which is pretty much what image consultants deserve. Delane bought in Cyto Scrambler technology from a small startup. This small but powerful laser is capable of stripping shields at short range more efficiently than a huge normal laser. Delane, of course, claims the invention was his own and jealously guards its secret, which sadly meant the dungeon for its inventors. The Kumo crew under Delane practices slavery, not your namby-pamby imperial slavery, but the good, honest, clap them in chains and work them hard until they collapse, and then feed them to the dog sort. This is something he does mainly to his enemies, but also to those who fail to pay their tribute to the Kumo crew, or who forget to send him a birthday present. Unfortunately, despite his management prowess, the general lack of profitability of piracy, when there are far faster and more efficient ways to make money, has meant that Delane is the second worst performing power, with control over a meagre 41 systems, mainly systems that none of the other powers are interested in. The piracy industry of the Pegasi sector remains a niche occupation, and Delane remains a shadowy figure behind those publicity portraits. He has posted on Twitter just once. On the 26th of September, 3304, he wrote, Fly dangerous, commanders, but keep an eye always in your rear. Tune in next week for another of the galaxy's powerful people. And the title of the next song is a tribute to the gravitas of Commander Wotherspoon, not a comment on Buck's predilection for barbecues. It is 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford.
This here's Buck Naked, spokesman for Laycon Spaceways. Back again for this week's Hutton Top Trucker. How do we keep up with your shenanigans while you tootle around in the Milky Way? Why, we install this little piece of software called the Hutton Helper in your spaceship. If you ain't already got it installed, you can install it yourself, relatively pain-free, by going to the website hot.forthemug.com. Almost as pain-free as still having to deal with your ex's bullshit ten years later. So let's get on to our top truckers this week. Yeehaw! From the Explorers, jumping around like them rabbits in a field, Commander APL Fatal jumped over 80,300 light years. Congrats to knocking Mr. Petunia out of first place. Tired of hauling cargo, Commander Kuroi Kasume decided to pull the trigger. A lot. And wound up turning the despicably dirty doo batter, Don Antonacci, and his band of pathetic pirates into space dust again this week. He racked up 49.7 million credits worth of bounties while tearing the engines out of each and every one of the Don ships. Running missions like no other, the Major General Nocti racked in 496 mission points this week, making Miss Lale mighty proud of you. Loading up the new trailer attachment to the rear of a Lacon Type 9 and filling it to the brim, Commander Zanray hauled almost 36,000 tons of cargo around the galaxy. Great job there, Commander. Keeping control of the Hutton High Speed Rail this week, along with all the mission points he did, we got our Major General Nocti delivering 7,183 passengers around the galaxy. That's two weeks in a row now. Word is that he kept his 3D printer super busy and he ain't got nothing better to do. Our fastest run to Hutton Orbital is held by Commander Brett Riverboat in 1 hour, 22 minutes, and 31 seconds. But the fastest run to Hutton in February is held by Commander Dogjack in 1 hour, 23 minutes, and 10 seconds. If y'all think you got what it takes to beat these scores, then download the Hutton Helper and get to flying. You want to hear your name on this here radio station? Make sure you got the Hutton Helper installed. Pick it up on the web at hot.forthemug.com and get to trucking. And don't forget, if you do hear your name called out and you ain't already got one, get in touch with us to get your very own Hutton decal for your ship. Hutton Top Trucker, brought to you by Lacon Spaceways, the only ships in the galaxy with an emergency Hutton mug under the seat. Please note, the Hutton mug cannot be used as a flotation device. Yeah! Right, um, we're <coughs> on with the... Uh towards the end of the show but um as is traditional we need a quick catch up on the tunes we've had so far before we go to the next one and before flossie introduces the next one so um amelia yes what, without giving any hints away other than the titles was our first tune this evening the first tune was gold on the ceiling by the black keys song number two 
Silver Rainbow by Genesis. And in song number three was 16 Tons by Tennessee Annie Ford. And uh, Flossie, introduce the next one, quick. After that burst of Texan top-tier trucking updates from Buck, it's time to head toward the end of the show. But we're sticking two fingers up to, to the clock with Jake Bug. And we're back. Oh, well, thank you very much, Flossie, for introducing that last one. Back. I reckon we foxed Litho Breaker two weeks in a row. Ha, ha, ha. I actually haven't had a look at the guesses yet, but... <clears throat> well, yep. it, it remains to say, as usual, um, thank you very much to um, our listener and, and to our viewers also over on the Twitch stream. And thank you to our presenters for this week, uh, Flossie and Emilia and Commander Wotherspoon and, of course, Palantir. <clears throat> Many thanks to our, our stunt technician. Actually, no, he, he's he's a top technician because this this was um, this was our week. Not yeah, I don't know week. why you get away with calling him a stunt every week. That's not very nice. Well, no, no. It, it's I'm, I'm just imagining him in sort of you know dressed up as somebody else doing all the dangerous bits. You know, crashing through plate glass windows and catching fire and jumping off tall buildings and coming away. He's a, he is a bit careless. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as long as he whispers. Um, anyway, yeah, so thank you very much to everybody for joining us. Um, a lot of banter at the start, but hopefully everybody found it interesting. Um, all the usual updates. We will be back next week. Uh, it's Mr. Cowell who's going to be hosting next week. I think I'll be back. Anybody else going to come back? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. yes. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we're, all gonna, we're all going to be here. So before we go and we sign off to our last tune, which, of course, is the dead giveaway, but we're not going to do the dead giveaway before we've done the rest of the giveaway. Um, we have to review some of the guesses and allow people a minute or two to get the remaining guesses in. Let's have a look. Where? Oh, here we go. Oh, this is, this is a bit thin. Yeah, okay, that's all um, we've had. Are we are we are we up a bit like me making Mike run around uh, last week? <clears throat> Can anybody see any guesses? Yes. And who wants to take the first? Flossie, you were the first voice, so you you can suggest the first one. Okay, uh, Commander Falkortuk, recording studios, which often have pianos, keyboards, which have black keys. Mm, nope, I think that was published before the rest of. Yeah, that was just after guesses. the first one. Um, we have a slightly better guess from Atrus5060. Amelia, would you like to introduce that one? Yep. Atrus5060 says, my guess for tonight is the Hutton Mugs, one gold, one silver. Aha. Uh -huh. But when do the two fingers come into it? And the 16 uh, Probably times. when we explain the theme. Two fingers uh -huh. of gin. <laughs> Whoa, you see, that's, uh, we're getting there. And 16 tonnes, well, no, it's 75 tonnes, the allocation at the moment. Um, so, Commander Wotherspoon, are you there? I, I'm here at the... Oh, oh, oh dear, we've broken mm, our Wotherspoon. No. Sort of, the guess has all disappeared. Oh, dear, uh, well, we've also broken you because you're breaking up a little bit there, Commander Wotherspoon. Am I? Perhaps it's better to skip me then and go on to somebody else. Oh, no, you're back. Do you, you want to have one quick yeah. little go? Litho Breaker's guess? Well, this, this one where... Intermittently. breath. Somewhere else. Oh. <laughs> no, we've lost. We've, we've, we've lost, lost me. Don't we've worry. lost you again. Um, okay. Well, uh, uh, who, who wants to take the next one? Palantir, quick. Well, yes, yeah, so Litho Breaker was very close with on the heels of Atrus and saying gold and silver, but say cut, colours of hut and mug, but I'm not sure how many more songs you could get with that theme. And then, obviously, when we got to the third song, we went, oh, yeah. Right. And um, then Commander Flossie. 
We always love our guesses from Folko Took. Yeah, to- uh, and Folko Took said booze, gold slager, Genesis brandy, a brand of brandy, Tennessee is known for whiskey, and fingers are a measure for liquor. Certain like- that's wrong, but hey, why not? <laughs> well, it is wrong, but I really like Folko's thinking this week. I really like Goldschlager. <laughs> oh yes, that's that, that's that stuff with floaty bits of gold in it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, real, real gold it, flakes it, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it makes everything really, really sticky. Yes, sticky is never, good. Never, never spill sticky alcohol. No, it's a bit like naughty elephant squirt water, but I don't know what the acronym's for. Um, so no, those were the guesses we've had so far, and we're sort of flathering around here, waiting for any others to come in. But um, Mr. Palantir, I don't think any more are going to come in, are they? No, Falco, um, Lethal Breakers said the same thing about whiskey, but I'm just telling you, uh, no, two fingers. No. Okay, <laughs> so we're going to go through from the top. We're going to take turns, apart from Commander Wotherspoon, who's broken. Um, so should we, oh, we'll go down in order. So um, put lots of emphasis when you when you. Um, Hit the right word and then give it away completely, maybe. Or should we tell? No, let's see what. We're, no, we're just we're just going to give it away. Look, everybody, it's the Sistine Chapel. For goodness' sake, didn't you get that one? Well, with but that we... with that clever clue that you put in there in the middle. Mm. Yes, the clever, clever clue. Um, the Sistine Chapel. Um, so the first song, Mister Palantir, was was "Gold on the Ceiling" by the Black Keys. Well, that's really obvious, that one, isn't it? Ceiling. Yes. And um, then, Amelia, the second song, and why? Uh, the second song was uh, Silver Rainbow uh, by Genesis. So uh, the ceiling portrays the book of Genesis. Uh-huh. And Flossie, uh, third the third song. one. It's a bit ropey, this one, because a lot of people <laughs> get this wrong, but it was close. <laughs> 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford. The chapel is named after Sixtus the Fourth, and this is a ropey link. Yeah, the Sistine, Sixteen, Sixtus. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit ropey that one. But yes, if you were thinking about it, maybe you'd have got that one. And then, of course, uh, who's well, Wotherspoon's gone, so I'll cover this one. The next one was um, Two Fingers" by Jake Bug. Yes, the most famous part of the picture on the ceiling is, of course, the bit with the the two fingers. Was it Adam and God very nearly touching in the middle? It's used in all sorts of other other bits of memes and media and all sorts. But yes, that's a very famous part of the picture. So, um, yeah, there you go. It was the Sistine Chapel. Sistine, Two Fingers, Genesis, and the gold on the ceiling. Look, thank you very much indeed, everybody, for joining us. Um, and, of course, as it was a complete dead giveaway, we didn't play the last tune before we told you what it was. But what else could we play? But a piece of music celebrated the maestro himself. The song is Michelangelo and Michelangelo by Walter Martin. And good night, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show. Everybody's buggered off now, so why don't you bugger off too? Nay, nay.